You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning. Buenos dias. Robert Carrillo here. I bring you greetings from the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. It's great to have you with us this morning. Welcome to the Metro Vision Studios. And uh, we are continuing in Stories Jesus Told. But I want you to know that uh, it's just great to have you with us this morning. And I especially want to give a shout out to all our family across Los Angeles, our family up in the Bay Area, and our family wherever you are, our friends, our neighbors, anybody watching with us today. It's great to have you with us. And we've been having a great time just going through the parables and learning through uh, so much from Jesus about our faith, about ourselves, about our God, about our lives through the parables. Uh, um, you know, for me personally, it's been incredibly inspiring. You know, I've, I've preached on the parables before. I've studied them. I've preached on them. I've taught on them, but never been so impacted as I have been lately going through them. And I'm super excited about the ones we're going to go through today, the cloth and the wineskin. I thought I knew them. I thought I understood what they were all about. I went back and studied and I learned so much more. Not that what I had learned before was wrong, but it, it runs even deeper than I realized. And so I'm excited about being able to study that together. Let's go ahead and go to God in prayer, and then we'll jump right on in. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for taking the time to teach us, for sending Jesus, who uh, was such an amazing example of how we should live, and taught us so patiently, God, and explained things for us in so many great ways. God, help us, Father, to, to be open in our hearts, open in our minds, open in our souls to being changed and transformed by these lessons. God, please uh, help us to be humble as we listen and as we study your word, God. We love you, God. We praise you and ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, amen. So, we're going to jump right on in. Um, we're doing the parable of the cloth and the wineskin. Again, like many of these parables, super short and super packed, super packed with powerful lessons, right? Um, we're gonna, we're, uh, this parable we find in, in three different forms, very similar, overlap in the classic, the synoptic gospels. Remember I explained before, synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, they're synoptic because they're very similar and they overlap a lot. This is one of those parables that's in Mark, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but we're going to read the Mark version and touch a little bit on a, on, on a part of it that comes out in Luke's. So we read in Mark chapter two, verse twenty-one: No one sews a patch of unshrunken of unshrunk cloth on an old garment; otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So that's, that's the parable. I'm, probably most of us have at least heard it, probably heard it preached. And some of us probably have taught it in a Bible talk or a Bible study or have studied it out ourselves. And uh, there's so much here to learn from. But I want to just remind us that these parables were not told to a bunch of atheists or non-Christians or people who didn't know anything about God. These parables were taught to God's people. 
So they're very much for us. And like many parables, there are levels of meaning. There's the most obvious, that's to the direct, to the audience that it was spoken to. But then there's general meaning, and then there's a universal meaning. And sometimes there's multiple universal meanings that apply to anybody at any point in history and any point in life. I mean, I, I have probably studied these parables at least 20 times in my 38 years as a Christian. And this last time, I learned a whole bunch of new stuff. So great stuff, great study. Um, a key word in this is new, right? He talks about um, about no one sewing a new patch or uh, a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old uh, garment, right? Or an old piece of cloth. He talks about new wine and new wineskins. And he actually uses two key words. One is kainos. And one is neos. If you've listened to these classes or listened to these sermons before, you've heard me explain. Kainos means that something is refreshed. It's like new and improved is what we would think. That would be the phrase that we would be used to is new and improved. But wait, there's more new and improved. It means that it's not brand new. It's not just recently created, but it's been refurbished or redesigned or re, you know, rebuilt in some way that it's as good as new, it's another level, it's upgraded, would be another word for it. And then there's neos, which he's talking about with the wineskins, um, which is brand new, which is like never been used before, newly created, newly developed, newly built. And, and both of those apply here. He talks about, you know, something brand new and something upgraded, something refreshed, right? So both of those, and you're going to see this, uh, is, is a, is a deep part of the understanding of these um, to parables. So let's start with the first one. So no one sews a new, a, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse, right? So if you've ever had to sew a patch on your jeans, you know exactly what happens, right? If you have old jeans, you love those jeans. I know I had jeans and they would always wear out in the knees, right? I'd have this big hole. And if I just sewed a patch of brand new jean material, what would happen? Well, the jeans, the old jeans, you know, they've been washed, they've been worn, so they have shrunk as jeans will do, you know, because they're all cotton and they've, they've settled on a certain size. But if you put a new cloth on there and you wash it, the new cloth is going to shrink and it's either going to pull all your jeans to that spot or it will just literally tear a hole right there because that is unshrunk cloth, right? So, so he talks about you can't put a new piece of cloth on an old pair of jeans. You can't mix the new and the old, right? New, some things being new is a major theme in God's theology or in, in, in what our religion is all about. It's, it's, it's a major theme with the ministry of Isaiah who talked a lot about the coming of Jesus and the, the coming of the Messiah. You know, in Isaiah 42, 9, he says, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. And God was setting up the coming of Jesus by telling the people that something new is coming. There's something new on the way, and I'm, I'm revealing to you new things. In Isaiah 43, 19, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
In other words, he, he tells them, do you, do, are you catching this? Do you, do you perceive it? Do you get this? See, some people don't perceive something new coming and it just, they take them by surprise. They're blindsided. They don't understand it. I mean, there were people that, there were lots, there were thousands of people that rejected Jesus because he was new, because he brought a new message, because he was saying new teachings, because he was radically challenging their worldview and their concept of what it means to be a person of God. And he's, so Isaiah is telling them well in advance that something new is coming and that this new will be brought out by God and you need to perceive this. You need to understand this. In verse, in chapter 48, verse 6, he says, you've heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. You know, God, one of the things that God loves to do is reveal things to us. And he doesn't reveal everything right away. I once, I remember I was um, talking to somebody one time and they were saying, I don't know if my baptism's right because I now understand that I'm way more sinful than I did back then. And I, and I asked them, did you understand you were sinful back then? They said, yeah, I got it. That's why I got baptized. But there's so much more I see now. And I said, well, that just means you're on track because the older you are as a Christian, the more you should see, the more you should understand or using Isaiah's language, the more you will perceive both about God's goodness and about our sinfulness, right? Also about our goodness, also about us being made in God's image, but also about the truth of our weaknesses and our sinful nature. So all of that gets exposed as time goes by and God reveals it. I think the truth is, had we seen all of our sin before we were baptized, we would have just been totally overwhelmed. We probably would have just felt like huge losers that'll never make it. So we had, we were shown what God wanted us to see. Hopefully enough to see how much we need God. Hopefully enough to be able to appreciate Jesus dying on the cross and to be thankful and live a thankful life. Cause that's what, where being a Christian comes from is it should come from gratitude towards God and appreciation for his love. And it should be a response to that. So we have to have been revealed or had a revelation of our sinfulness and how we've blown it in life. But I don't think we could handle all of it. In fact, I don't know that there's any point in our life that we could just handle everything. The older I get as a Christian, the more I understand how weak I am, how sinful I am. But I also, hand in hand with that, the more I understand how good God is, how gracious he is, how merciful he is, how loving he is. And that's important that you learn them both. Otherwise, it will be overwhelming. As somebody once said, uh, truth without love is unbearable. We have to understand how much God loves us. Ezekiel said, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel talks about this transformation that God is going to make, that he's going to give us a new spirit in us. Not just obedience, not just humility, but even something new, something really exciting, a spirit of love, a spirit that comes from him, his Holy Spirit. And he will remove that heart of stone and he will give us a heart of flesh. In other words, he'll help us make a transition from just we obey, we do what we're supposed to, to really being in love with God to being motivated and inspired by our love for God. He says later on in chapter 36, 
He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So he's, he promises to us, this is part of the change that's coming, a brand new heart, right? You know, as we go through life, our hearts get loaded down. Sometimes it gets hardened, right? Jesus talked about in the parable sower that it can get hard because we've been hurt, because we've suffered, because we feel bitterness or we feel unreconciled or unresolved or there's different kinds of things that happen. Sin can harden our hearts. You know, disappointment can harden our hearts. Disillusion can harden our hearts. There's just a lot of things that can happen. And we can even, even just being religious, we can harden our hearts. And we think, okay, I'm in, I'm settled, I know what I'm doing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and we no longer have a soft heart. That was the warning in the parable of the sower, to protect our hearts, right? I mean, the Bible says that guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And, and it happens. I've seen it happen to Christians a lot where their hearts get hard. They're no longer changed by the word of God. They're no longer being transformed. They're set in their ways and they don't want to change. And God says, I can give you a new heart, that fresh, excited, open, soft heart that that is, is the heart of a young Christian, the heart of a young person that can be influenced and is moldable. And they have not hardened. They've not become dogmatic. They're still open to learning. They're not, they're not naive, but but they are still soft-hearted. And that comes from God. We all need that. We all need that. And a new spirit. You know, you can tell somebody's spirit. You can feel it when you're talking to somebody. Is a spirit of negativity. Is it a spirit of, of anger or a spirit of resentment or a spirit of, of faithlessness or a worldly spirit? Or is it a spiritual spirit, a loving spirit, a kind spirit, a faithful spirit, an excited, a zealous spirit? We, we feel that. And, and, and we all want to have a soft heart and a great spirit, right? But God does that and he makes it new. He makes everything new. In Matthew, it says, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, this is the religious leaders. He said, though the teachers of the law, those who know the scriptures, who become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom, new treasures as well as old. So he takes what he's learned from the past. And I think this is a really good illustration of our Christian life. You take all that you've learned, but you don't stop there. You also add new things to it. The new things that we're learning. I am super excited that we're constantly learning. I'm learning so much right now. I mean, I'm just blowing gaskets in my brain because I'm learning so many great things about God in the books I'm reading and the studies I'm doing in my Bible and in my prayer times. And, and some of this is prompted, a, a great deal of this is prompted by the doctorate I'm getting in spirituality. But I've always been searching for different ways. I mean, there was a time I was into astronomy, studying the stars and creation and physics, and that learned, taught me so much about God. There was a time I was really into studying about personalities and psychology, and that taught me a lot about how we are made and how God designed us. And I've always looked for different ways to keep learning. And, and, and so Jesus describes this as the, the teacher law, the one who's been there, done that, but as, yeah, he has his old teachings, but he brings out new things too. And he's learning new things. And I think that's a great way to live that keeps us fresh, keeps us excited, right? And that's all part of the Christian life. That's part of us becoming Christians. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You know, we have to, we have to, we, 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 we go through this huge change when we get baptized, but it's not just a spiritual change, although that is the most important, but it's a, also a cultural change. It's a psychological change. It's an emotional change. It is a change complete. It should be heart, mind, and soul are all baptized and, and we learning to live a new life and we have to battle with the old self. We can't let the old self come back. Or we can't let a new old self, you know, a lot of us were baptized really young, so we were fresh and open-minded and soft-hearted. When we get older, we can become closed-minded and hard-hearted and set in our ways and dogmatic about things. And and we become an old self, a different old self than when we got baptized, but it's still an old self. No, Paul reminds us, you're a new creation. You're brand new. Don't forget that. In, in, in Colossians 3, he says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. There are practices that old self does. There's a way of being of the old self. You know, we can be cynical. We can be negative. We can be, we can be doubters. We can be angry. We can, I mean, all this is all this stuff is from the old self. And it'll come right back into our lives if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't be careful. And he says, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed. It's constantly being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. I mean, that, how awesome is that? How incredible is that? But you have to allow that to happen. You have to be close to God. You've got to position yourself so you're being new. So this is a major theme. Now, this is all behind that parable. But it's really important to understand, what is he talking about here? He's talking about being new. He's talking about being our new self and in, in, in the image and the knowledge of our creator, of God. We're becoming who God designed us to be. But we have to leave the old self. We're not just trying to attach a new self on top of an old self. That's where that tear will happen. That's where, where the change of cloth is going to tear apart from the new cloth because we're a new self. You know, we have old ways, right? I thought about the old ways and the ways when I was a kid, how people dressed, you know, I mean, that was so cool in the day, right? The old ways are new or what we call it old school versus new school, right? In the old days, that was new school. Now that's very old school. We would make fun of somebody walking around dressed like this. Although I don't know, a lot of styles are coming back. So, but but we recognize, you know, that, you know, the bell bottoms, the platforms, the afros, the plaited, the pleated or plaited pants, plaid pants and flowered shirts and leprosy. I mean, all that stuff was old school. Some of it's coming back, but it's always different. It's always a little different so that somebody can know whether you're just being old school or you're being new, right? It, we change. Times change. And that stuff is obvious outward appearance stuff. But the same thing is happening on the inside is hopefully we are being renewed in the image of our creator. Hopefully we are being refreshed. So that's the first one. So you got to keep, keep growing, keep learning. You have to you have to remember you have been made new and not let the old self creep in, not let the old self take over, not let the new old self right? But stay new, stay fresh, stay young hearted and, and keep growing and not try to hang on to old junk, right? Mark chapter two, verse 22, the next part of the parable or the next parable, 
He says that no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both wine and wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Okay, new with new, not mixing old and new. And, and partly to understand this, you have to kind of understand how wine was made. So it, what they would do is they, they would have these wine presses, and here's a picture of one. They dump all the grapes in there, and then somebody stomps all the grapes. They walk around there, there's people that are wine presses, they walk around, and they just squish all the grapes. And then the juice flows into a vat, right? And then the wine, the, the, the juice from the grapes is put in jars, and it, where it ferments, and it begins fermenting, or it's put in today in, in oak barrels or, or different kinds of barrels so that it can ferment, so it can take time. It actually begins to ferment immediately. Nowadays, you could actually buy a little uh, juicer, a little uh, wine press. There's a picture of one right there where, where you can just dump the grapes in there, squish them, pour it out, and it begins immediately to ferment. But then what they do is once it's fermented, once it's, you know, because when it, while it's fermenting, lots of gases are released. And then once it's for, mostly fermented, they put it into wineskins. They put it in these bags, right? And, and the, and the, and the, the bags are basically, you know, leather. I mean, you can see that that was at one point probably a sheep, right? And, and they sew it closed. And while it's fermenting, there's still some gases released. And that, that leather will stretch. It will basically stretch. It's still pliable. It'll stretch. And, and, the, the, and then the wine ferments in there. And then, you know, after a period of time, you've got good wine. You, it's got to be, it's got to have time to ferment and to set, right? And become wine. And then we serve it. But what happens if you put new wine into a wineskin you've already used? Well, it's already stretched. So if you put new wine in there, and the wine releases gases, which it will as it ferments, it's going to blow up. It's going to be like a balloon that blew up too big. It'll pop and it'll lose everything, right? He, in, in Luke's version, he says it a little bit different at the end. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new the new, for they say the old is better. Okay, so he says this is what happens. Is people get used to the old. He said, first of all, he warns us, don't mix the old and new. Don't put new wine into an old wineskin because it's going to burst, right? It's going to blow up. I just explained that. But he says, and then you know what happens too is that you can't mix the old wine and the new wine because people taste and they like what they're used to. So what they're going to say is, no, I like the old wine better. They want the, they want the vintage wine. And they're not gonna want the new wine. So you don't mix them. You keep them separate. You don't wanna, there's some things that you don't wanna mix. It's called syncretism. It's, it's the amalgamation of different regions, traditions, or schools of thought. That's the technical term for it. When you mix something, an old teaching or an old view of things with a new teaching, and a new view of things. This is really important because, you know, part of what was, what I learned in studying these parables is I was trying to, you know, I always look at what is the context? What was happening before? What was happening that caused Jesus to say these parables? And there were several common things that were happening. One is when his apostles were picking wheat and eating it. 
you know, which was not allowed on the Sabbath. Another was when they were, he healed people on the Sabbath and that was not allowed. Another is his priorities of what he considered important, what he didn't, or how he approached the law or, or how he had mercy on people. Remember the guy in the wedding banquet, he had mercy on him. He healed him or how we look at sin or how we look at love. These were all things that Jesus was very different about. And it was in these very situations where Jesus told these parables. He challenged their thinking to think new, to not try to put this on top of their old thinking, but to understand this is a radically new way to to understand God, to understand God's love, and to understand what it means to be a man of God or a woman of God. You can't mix the old way and the new way. Take Jesus' way all the way. Take his teachings 100%. You cannot mix legalism with it. You can't mix traditionalism with him. You cannot mix the way the Pharisees thought with the way that Jesus taught. Build on Jesus' teachings. In Luke 6, we have a good example of it. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? I mean, he was, again, he was challenging how they thought because the way they thought, is on the Sabbath, you don't do anything, which should include healing. And he challenged that. I mean, he was healing people on the Sabbath all the time. Or later on, it says in, in verse 27, but, you, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay, you got to understand, this challenged their view. They, they were still under the old law, the old teaching, eye for an eye, right? That, 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 that if they do something to you, you have the right to do something back at them. If someone does evil to you, you have the right to do evil back. And that was the old way of thinking. Your enemies, your friends, separate them. You know, if you're a religious, spiritual person, you have nothing to do with sinners. And, you know, you definitely wouldn't eat with a prostitute or a tax collector. Jesus' way was so radically different. Reese talked about the upside-down kingdom. He turned all this upside down. He turned all this into a whole new way of thinking. And he was challenging everybody to think like him, which is like God. To see things as God sees them. And this tension of old and new, it shows up in a lot of ways in, in religion. And the most obvious would be the, the, the first way of seeing it is clearly the traditional Judaism versus Jesus' teachings. And how he challenged the traditional views. Another way of looking at it was the legalism of the Pharisees versus the love of Jesus. Remember he told them couple, several times. Go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They were so worried about following the rules. He was way more concerned about loving people. Not that he dismissed the rules, not that he negated the, negated the rules, but that he was bringing love to a much higher level in religion. Very easy for religion to become all about rules. And he was challenging that thinking to think about love. Rules need to be obeyed in light of love with love in mind, with love directing how we act about things and how we respond to things. It's, it, we see that tension in judgmentalism versus grace and mercy. 
You know, because of our own insecurities, we look at, we follow rules and we think, okay, I'm good because I belong to the church or because I did this or because I had my quiet times every day and I had, and I, you know, give my, my contribution and we can be just like the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, but we can be like the Pharisee. And we look down on others because they don't do that. On the other hand, what Jesus taught was grace. He ate with prostitutes. He defended women of sordid pasts, clearly guilty of sins, clearly guilty, guilty even of breaking God's law. And yet he stood up for them. And yet he touched people who were sick. And he healed those that others thought were probably being punished by God. Right? And you see that tension in religiosity and hypocrisy versus spiritual authentic faith. You know, generally nobody likes religious people. Not even religious people like religious people. And I think, honestly, somebody who's authentically spiritual, somebody who's a really, truly spiritual person, can't stand religious people. Religious people have all these rules because they look down on everybody else. And the biggest problem is they themselves do not live up to their rules. It's amazing to me how many relationships or how many people that I've had to talk to that are so judgmental about somebody else or so condemning of somebody in the church and yet they have a lousy marriage, or yet they're yelling at their kids, or yet they, they've, they haven't borne fruit in decades, you know? I mean, and it's like, dude, get real here, you know? I mean, what, what this tension is, is how things look on the outside versus what's happening on the inside. We see the tension in immaturity versus mature faith. You know, somebody that just, everything is us and them, right and wrong, black and white, and, but as we mature, we understand that sometimes we got to ask why. Sometimes we need to understand things a little bit on a deeper level. We have to grow. We have to learn. We have to understand the balance of grace and discipline, the balance of love and truth. We have to understand these things. Jesus came full of truth and grace, you know, and understanding that and maturity. It's not just that are right, they're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. The difference between being half-hearted and total devotion. We see that tension. You know, that if you're partly, and this is really what's kind of at the heart of these parables, is, is do we fully accept what is new? Or do we just accept a lot of it, but we still have a lot of worldliness in our heart and a lot of worldliness inside? Or have we just given ourselves completely over to God? Do we just say, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm doing it. God, whatever you ask for, I'm giving it. Whatever you're calling me to, I'm there. That's at the heart of this parable. The other tension we see is between dogmatism, being set in our ways. I've seen Christians get older, and instead of becoming wiser and more loving and more gracious, which is what should happen, they become more judgmental, more dogmatic about, I believe this, I think this is right, it needs to be done this way. And you can usually, it shows up because they want to restore the church of whatever year was their glory year. You know, they want to return, some want to restore the church of 1995 or the church of 1975 or the church of 1955. I mean, this is, our movement was started because we were under a leadership that wanted to restore the church of 1950s. And we were the children of the, of the sixties and we wanted something new with, with loving all races and, and treating women respectfully and, and being truly de- devoted to the Holy Spirit and motivated. That, these were the things that moved us and caused us to not be able to work with people who were dogmatic. And yet I see the same thing can happen to us 
in a lot of ways, we can fall into the same mistakes. These are the tensions. Second Peter 1, 5, 9, classic scripture. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I mean, this scripture could be a whole sermon, the truth is. This, this could be a whole sermon. But he's basically just saying, look, we need to keep growing. Otherwise, we plateau and we become ineffective. In other words, we're not impacting anybody anymore. And we become unproductive. We're not bearing fruit, any kind of fruit. We're not helping people become Christians. We're not helping people grow in their love. We're not helping people overcome sin. We're just there. And, 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 and oftentimes what happens is we become armchair quarterbacks. We sit there and criticize the people leading or the people trying to do something or the people trying to organize something or the people trying to make something happen. You know, and that's a bad place to be. And what he says is they've forgotten their own sins. They're so concerned about everybody else's sins, they've forgotten their own. So we sometimes we got to ask ourselves tough questions. Am I being ineffective? Am I being effective? You know, how effective and productive is my faith? What difference am I making? Am I making a difference? Do people feel my love? Is my love helping people? And they're growing and they're being inspired and they're being encouraged. Do people feel my love? Do people see my faith? Is my faith inspiring other people? Is my faith making a difference at work or at school or in my house, in my, with my roommates or with my family or, or with my children, my friends, my kids, my family? And you got to ask people. Because we are not always the best judge of ourselves, right? A doctor has to go see a doctor when they get sick. So we as disciples need to talk to somebody and ask. I want to challenge you. Wherever you at, ask somebody. How do you feel like I'm doing in regard to being loving? How do you feel like I'm doing with my faith? How do you feel like I'm doing with effectiveness and productivity? And I don't mean productivity isn't just cranking. Productivity is doing something. Simply doing something and it has an effect. It, it bears fruit somehow. It makes a difference, which will absolutely happen, right? Jesus said, if you are, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit, right? You will bear much fruit even. So if you're not bearing fruit, then you got to ask yourself, am I really abiding in Jesus or am I just deceiving myself? I think a lot of people, even in the church, can be really deceiving themselves. Thinking, I'm fine. I go to church. I watch the program. I don't go to everything. I don't do everything I'm supposed to. But hey, I'm there. I give my contribution. That's not fine. That's becoming ineffective and unproductive. And you don't want to be there. There's another word in Revelation. It's called being lukewarm. And we don't want to be there. But we got to make sure. We got to check ourselves sometimes, right? In Luke 9, we see a scene in Jesus' life. And it says in Luke chapter 9, he says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have whole dens and birds, of the, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But he challenged the guy. You know, he said, look, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus doesn't say, yeah, that's great. Come on, let's say a little prayer and then you're with me. Nope. He tells them, look, this is going to be hard. I don't even have a home. 
I don't even have a place to lay my head and say it's mine. He said to another man, follow me. But he said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go proclaim the kingdom of God. I mean, he challenged I mean, talk about an important thing to go and bury your father. But Jesus was making a radical point. There's nothing more important than this. There is nothing more important than the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Whoa, Jesus. Did you catch that? Did you see what he said? No one who puts a hand to the plow. No one who starts following Jesus. No one who starts living the Christian life. No one who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. No one who gets baptized and looks back to his old life or his old self or his old ways or his old thinking is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. We've got to look ahead and learn from Jesus. Learn from him and let him make us new in everything and how we think and how we feel and how we live continually, giving God our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. In the kingdom of God, there is only 100%. There isn't 99%. There isn't 95%. I mean, think about it this way. What if I told Michelle, you know what, honey, I'm going to be 99% faithful. In other words, I'm going to be faithful, no, 365 days in a year. I'll be faithful 364 of them. Just one day a year, I will not be faithful to you. You think she would accept that? Of course not. Of course not. Right? Would you accept that in a marriage? Nobody would. Right? If, 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 if I was going into surgery and the surgeon said, you know what, I'm going to give my 99%. Would you say, oh, sure, cut me open and work on me? Absolutely not. What if the pilot of the airplane said, you know, 99% of the time I, I land pretty well, so hopefully it's not the 1%. No, you say, no, I want 100% commitment here. It's the same thing. But even the stakes are much higher. It's your eternal salvation. It's your soul. It's your whole life. 100%. You got to be able to say, Lord, I'm in 100%. Say it. Say it out loud. God, I'm 100% with you. God, I am 100% committed, not 95%, not 98%, 100%. That's what these parables are about. Giving yourself completely. Letting God do whatever he's going to do. Letting God make you new. Not trying to add. Not trying to be something that is a hybrid of my old self or the way the world is or religiosity or religious people and a little bit of a radical disciple. No, I'm all in or not at all. That's the way it is with Jesus. It's what he told people. I want to end with this story. It was about a group of monks. They were in Europe and they had the dream of going to China and preaching the gospel. And they worked hard for several years. They saved the money and they worked super hard to, to have uh, the passage, the money for the passage. And there was about 30 of them. And they'd saved and they booked a ship and they sailed off for China. Along the way, many of them got super sick. In fact, when they, they stopped in India on the way to China and about half of them had to turn back because they were so sick. They were deathly ill. And then they, they continued the rest that went there. And by the time they got to China, there was only about 10 of them left. But unfortunately, during that trip, during the trip there, there was a revolution in China, a rebellion. It's called the Boxer Rebellion. This was 1899. 
And basically what China did is they closed all the doors of their country. No Europeans were allowed in. None. And the, they didn't find out till they got there. And when they got there to, the, to China, they were told, you cannot enter. And they were so disappointed because they wanted to tell people about Jesus. They wanted to preach the gospel to people. But they realized there's one way they could get in. They could get in if they were slaves. So each of them, they made, they made the commitment together and they sold themselves into slavery just so they could go in. They became property of other people in China just so they could show the example, preach the gospel of love and show the way of Jesus. That's a hundred percent commitment. That's a hundred percent. And I know that, that that might sound like, oh, bro, come on, that's like extreme. But that is what God calls for. That is what God calls for. And, and truthfully, it's the only way to live the Christian life. Is with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Just giving it to God. Giving God your everything. Everything you have. Let him do as his will. Don't be a new cloth sewn into an old garment. Don't try to mix old wine and new wine. Don't be an old wineskin that is inflexible and crusty. Be fresh. Be new. Let God make you new. Let him restore your, a new heart. A heart of flesh that is filled with love for God. We're doing a series in a few weeks on spirituality. I want to challenge us all to just dive in hands and feet to be growing closer to God and deeper in love with Him. It is life to the full that Jesus promised. God bless you and buen camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.